0: Rudy is uh, from beautiful downtown Los Angeles. showed up wearing his Dodgers cap. Not preaching in it this morning, though. But I am so glad he's bringing God's word to us. Rudy came to faith in prison, and since coming out of prison, has been greatly used of God, along with his wife, to bring life-giving gospel to many people there in LA and now they are planning a new church in that city and I want to ask you to give Rudy Rubio a Spanish River welcome as he comes to preach for us this morning. Thank you, brother. If anybody has a problem with the Dodgers, you can meet me outside in the parking lot after church. <laughs> Bless Lord's day to you all, Spanish River. I'm so grateful to be here in the house of the Lord on the Lord's Day with the people of God. Amen? Amen. That we might sit under the preach Word of God, that we might pray the Word of God and confess our sins and be assured that in Christ we are forgiven. As Pastor David said, um, my name is Rudy Rubio. I am a pastor and church planter. I serve the Reformed Church of Los Angeles uh, in the city of Los Angeles Um, We serve the cities of Linwood, Compton, and Watts because that's where where God has us. So uh, on behalf of my family and my—yeah, give the Lord Lord a round of applause. On behalf of my own family, the Rubio family, and our church family at RCLA, please know that we extend you a warm greeting, salutation, and all of our prayers and blessings. We thank you for all the love, for the prayers, for the support— you know, you don't understand how key Spanish River was to helping us get off the ground four years ago. As a matter of fact, a little bit over four years ago, Ron Tobias stopped by. You guys know Ron Tobias, right? Everybody knows Ron Tobias. He, he was at, yeah, give him a round of applause. The Lord, give the Lord of Lord a round of applause for Ron. He's just been instrumental. He walked into our very first ever public worship service a little over four years ago, and it was four years ago this weekend on Palm Sunday, March 25th, 2018, that we had our official launch, and the Lord has just done amazing things, and Spanish River was a key part of that. Now, you can look around this room and speak to almost any church planter, because I'll tell you right now, church planting, it, it, it can be a nightmare at times. It can, I'm not even kidding. It can be scary. It, it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster, you know, um, but, but Christ is worth it. Amen. Yeah. Christ is worth it, and seeing the lost be found, and and broken marriages and families restored is worth it. You can look around this room to any person who stood up, any church planter, their wife, their family, and ask them. And you will hear some horror stories about how people that they've invested in, poured into, loved on, prayed for, counseled, welcomed into their homes and families, just got up and ghosted them. Left them for no reason. I'm sure brothers will tell you that there have been people who turned their backs on them, slandered them, and left them when they needed them the most. So why even do it? Why do we subject ourselves to this? Again, because Christ is worth it. Amen? He is worth it. And we are privileged to be able to co-labor with God, our creator. We have a privilege in Christ to be able to work for him. Think about that. God using crooked sticks to make a straight line. He's given us great partnerships in the gospel to do so along the way, folks like you all to pray for us when we're down, to offer friendship when we feel lonely, which is all the time. Y'all have provided generously to so many of us to help us pay the bills to continue to proclaim Christ and him crucified. Now, this morning, I want to start off with something that many folks don't like to address. Some will say that what I'm about to mention doesn't even exist, while others may use it as a pretext to blame others for their current situation or lack of progress. Please be patient with me and hear me out. Will you be patient with me? Yes. Amen. What I'm going to talk about is privilege. And before you think Rudy's lost it, that I've gone woke, or some other boogeyman phrase that has caused division within the church, I promise that's not the case. I've not gone social justice warrior and abandoned the gospel along the way. It ain't that kind of party, okay? So let me explain what I am talking about. Privilege is a real word, and it's a real thing. I didn't make it up. It's not some fairy tale. A good question to ask instead is, what kind of privileges are there? Well, there's lots. I'm going to talk about L.A. because that's where I'm from, so let me tell you about my own community back in L.A. The fact that some folks speak English is a major privilege, because not everyone does. The fact that some folks have papers, which means legal immigration status, is a privilege because many don't. During the pandemic, at the hospital that I work at in Watts, I saw firsthand the disparity of healthcare in South L.A. Some folks are privileged to have great medical insurance, a much better education. They've gone to better schools and have had more opportunities. That shows that there's a socioeconomic difference too. Some of us were born into really bad poverty, and some of us weren't. Does that mean that those that had it better are bad people? Of course not. Does that mean that they're better people? Of course not. Does that mean that those who had a harder time growing up are more special than those that had it easier, of course not. Some people just had a head start on things. That's just a fact. But let me tell you about what privilege could look like within the church. When I was in seminary, I quickly learned that most of the students came from affluent churches who completely paid for their theological education. That was not my case. But we see that these things do exist. Now, if you don't agree with me and you want to challenge that, that's fine. But let me tell you something that's going to challenge us all and hopefully even gut-check us all and that is to examine our own privilege. Not the kind that has to do with ethnicity, not the kind that has to do with education or money or language or any of that stuff, but the kind of privilege that we get to experience in Christ. Because if you have truly placed your faith in Jesus, then you too, my friend, are privileged. You have been saved from God's wrath and to his family. Amen? Amen. And if that's not a privilege to celebrate, you can meet me outside in the parking lot after church too and we can have a talk. Amen? (laughs) Sorry, that's just the old hood coming down on me. I'm sorry, Pastor. (laughs) But if you can do me a favor and please open up your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 21. As you're doing so, I want to set this passage up for us today. These are the final days of Christ's earthly ministry. Okay, he'd already entered triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey, what we refer to as Palm Sunday. He'd already cleared out the temple, the money changers, and all those who were buying and selling there. He'd already cursed the fig tree for not bearing fruit. Let that be a gut check to us. His authority had been challenged. All this as the scribes, Pharisees, and the religious leaders had been trying to constantly trap him over and over again. Now, the previous portion of today's passage was about a son telling his dad that he'd go do what was asked of him but then didn't do it. And there was another son, okay, who had originally said no but then felt convicted and went and did what his dad had originally asked him to do. Now, Spanish River, I'm going to ask you a favor as we get ready to read the Lord's Word. Can you please do me a favor? If you are able to, can you stand in body or in spirit for the reading of God's Word, please? Can you please stand in body or in spirit for the reading of God's Word? And we'll be reading from Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. Let me get an amen when you're there. Amen, Amen, brothers and sisters. And And the Word of God reads as follows. Hear another parable. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit." And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they perceived that he was talking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. People of God, this is the word of God. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord, friends. Can I just get right to it really quick? Wasted privilege is costly. Wasted privilege is costly. Today's parable is not a standalone parable, as I mentioned. It comes to the previous parable of the two sons where one said yes and didn't do what his dad asked him. The other one said no, felt convicted, and ended up doing what the dad had originally asked him to do. But today's parable leaves no doubt as to who the Lord Jesus was talking about. The religious leaders knew he was talking about them. Because Christ was not beating around the bush. The parables Jesus had been used to teaching uh, up until now are starting to come to an end. And the last parable, the Lord Jesus, he made his hearers reflect on how they had rejected John the Baptist. And today he makes them reflect on how they are rejecting him. But let's take a look and break this down and let's identify who the caste is in this parable. God, God is the one who owned and planted the vineyard. The house of Israel, okay, they are the actual vineyard. The Old Testament says in Isaiah 5-7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Now Israel's leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, and all their followers, they represent the wicked sharecroppers or the tenants. And the prophets that got stoned and killed, these are the servants who were sent out to collect the portion of the vintage that was owed to the owner And I don't think I have to tell you, but I'll say it anyways, just in case, our Lord Jesus Christ is none other than the master's or the landowner's son. He is the cornerstone, the foundational piece of our Christian faith upon which every single thing else is aligned. Amen? Amen. Now, I like to quote a lot of smart guys because I'm not the smartest guy around, but William Hendrickson, one of my favorite theologians, said this regarding Christ as our cornerstone. He said, by his glorious resurrection, ascension, And coronation, he has become highly exalted. And from his place at the Father's right hand, sends out the Spirit to dwell in the hearts of his followers and to rule over the entire universe. Check this out. In the interest of the church, to the glory of God triune. Amen? That is the cornerstone that we're talking about here. But here's the big idea of what I want to teach this afternoon. You ready? As followers of Christ... We've been given a special privilege. To neglect it is to draw God's wrath. You guys are used to hearing good news and bad news up in here, right? That's the bad news, right? But we're going to get to the good news, so please, don't nobody be scared. Don't leave before I get to the end. You're going to have nightmares. As followers of Christ, we've been given a special privilege. To neglect it is to draw God's wrath. And I'm going to do that four ways. In verse 33, we'll see about the privileged. In verses 34 through 42, we'll see... The neglect of said privilege. In 43 through 44, we'll see the consequences of said neglect. And in verses, in verses 45 through 46, we'll see about the hardness of heart. Let's go to verse 33 in the privileged. Once again, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it, and dug a winepress in it, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. So, does privilege exist? Let's see. The Lord chose out of all the nations in the world, not the biggest, not the most powerful. He chose not Egypt, not the mighty Aztecs who built the pyramids, not the Vikings, but the Jews. He called them his own. He spoke to them. He gave them his law. He protected them from the mighty army of Pharaoh of Egypt. He literally cleared the way for them and opened and parted the Red Sea. He provided food for them from the sky and provided water from a rock. Anybody ever drink water from a rock lately? (laughs) While the rest of the world was in spiritual darkness, he shone his light upon Israel. He made an everlasting covenant with Abraham, and he shared divine utterances through the prophets. Now, I'd say Israel was pretty privileged. I don't know about you. They were the apple of God's eye. Zechariah 2:8. don't take my word for it Zechariah 2:8 says for thus says the Lord of hosts after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye now someone might you might be thinking hey Rev that's cool but we ain't the house of Israel and you would be correct we're not walking with desert we're not walking in the desert with a cloud and a day uh, and a pillar of fire by night you'd be correct to think that but here's here's the thing friends We are more privileged than them. You see, they looked forward. They were hopeful and believed in what was to come. We've got the full book. We've got all 66 books of the canon. We've got God's complete word to us. We've got all 66 books. Again, I will repeat that. We've got the entire story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. They didn't have that. We've got the word of God on our smartphones. We've got theology on YouTube. We've got libraries and libraries of commentaries. We are extremely privileged much more so than most of the world. The Lord saw fit to have us all here in this wicked yet blessed nation. Have you realized the privilege that you have in Christ on top of being saved that he gives you as a Christian? The privilege he's extended to us with access to his word from everywhere, his church, so much so that sometimes, can I just say this? We don't appreciate what he's done for us. There are countries where people have to hide their faith, where they meet in secret, and yet here in the West, in these United States, folks will bounce from church to church because of the music, the concert-style worship, the gazillion ministry options. They remain unchallenged, undiscipled, and unaccountable in their Christian growth. We have churches full of consumers that serve the church whenever they can manage to squeeze God in for a few minutes into their schedule. We have churches of people who don't really know Christ. They know of him but have not yet had an encounter with the risen Savior, the one that gave his very life for those that would believe. We've got it so good, and sometimes we can forget We've become callous to the privilege that we have in Christ. The church fights over the dumbest things, and division is usually a part of the game. So what happens when we neglect this privilege? Let's see in verses 34 to 42, the neglect of privilege. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out to the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death. And let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his fruits in the season. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Friends, the Lord handed over his vineyard to the house of Israel to maintain it, to grow it, to nurture it, but when it was time to pay up, he sent his servants, the prophets. They were not welcomed, instead, they were killed. Israel's leadership was supposed to have cared for the vineyard, the house of Israel, but instead they rejected God and the prophets that he sent. You see, the leaders loved themselves more than they loved God. They loved themselves more than they loved their neighbors. They were full of greed, and they didn't just want the vineyard. They wanted everything in it. So he sent more servants, more prophets, and they killed those too. And finally he sends his son, Surely they would honor his son, right? Listen to what J.C. Rowe said. They hardened themselves in sin and unbelief. They turned aside after idols. They kept not God's ordinances. They despised God's temple. They refused to listen to his prophets. They ill-used those whom he sent to call to repentance. And finally, they brought their wickedness to a height by killing the Son of God himself. This begs the question to us all, familia, what are you doing with the privilege that God has given you? What are you doing with his son, and how are you using that for his glory? Or if we're going to be real, are you even using it? Or have you buried it in the ground the way the parable of the talents talks about? Remember when God said and did to the one who didn't use the talents that have given to him? If you don't remember, that's okay, I got this for you. Matthew 25, 26, and 30, it says, You wicked and slothful servant, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't bury your talent in the ground. Don't neglect what God has given you. He's given you a privilege because to neglect it, to waste it, has serious consequences. Verses 43 and 44 talk about the consequence of said neglect. Listen up. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. We can talk about this afterwards. I'm not going to get lost in it. But some manuscripts don't have verse 44. Whether it's there or not, it doesn't affect this passage at all. It doesn't affect the meaning of the Bible at all. If it's in your Bible, great. If it's not, don't trip. It's not that big of a deal, okay? It doesn't affect this at all. I just had to say that. But if there was any doubt at all as to who the Lord could be referring to here in this passage, he made it crystal clear. He tells them all, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Friends, we are those people. We are those people who will be given to These people being referred to, it's us, it's the Lord's church. We are the body of believers made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 3.6 tells us that the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Amen? God is entrusting to us the vineyard that he owns. The vineyard that he himself has cultivated, the vineyard that he's taken time to nurture and to protect and to grow and to love on, think about that for a moment. God planted the vineyard. He put a fence around it for protection. He dug a wine press into it, and he even built a watchtower on it. And as he hands it off to folks to just continue to care for it, when the time comes to break them off what's owed to him, that didn't happen. Instead, these dudes got greedy, They forgot the blessing that he had handed to them, and they didn't quite realize the privilege that they'd been given, and they wasted it. God has given us a great responsibility, and do you know what comes with great responsibility? That was a question, by the way. (laughs) Does anybody know what comes with great responsibility? Great accountability. With great responsibility comes great accountability. Luke 12, 48 says, Everyone to whom much was given... Of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. May the word of God be used to soften our hearts and not to harden them. Verses 45 through 46, hardness of hearts. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they knew he was speaking about them. And although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because the people regarded him as a prophet. So now what? The chief priests and Pharisees, they knew that Christ was talking about them. Like the other messengers sent before Jesus, like the servants in today's parables being sent to collect on behalf of the landowner, they'd have to plot to get rid of Christ, the son. But not right now, right now. Maybe later, later. Because there was just too many people, and they may not have feared God, but they sure did fear the crowds, because they knew that people regarded Christ as a prophet. Ain't that crazy? Everything that these guys did was supposed to be done in God's name. And the God whose word they knew in and out, the very God that gave them their status, the God who'd given them such privilege among the people and the nations and the world, they were afraid of God's wrath. They weren't afraid of God's wrath, but they were afraid of the people. Ain't that crazy? Yeah. And it makes me wonder how many of us listening here today are more afraid about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. You see, in every church there are people who hear the gospel over and over that are in the exact same situation and condition of these men who are unhappy and unsatisfied. They are sure that what they hear week in and week out is true. They know that that they've got it twisted and they know they're wrong. They know that each sermon they listen to condemns them. But because of their sin that they love so much, they won't admit it and they won't change their ways. They're either too proud or too attached to the world and refuse to confess their sin, to repent, and to change their ways. They refuse to take up their cross and die to themselves. What do you think is going to happen to these people? These people who have a false assurance of salvation, they think because they know the word of God, they're, they're being obedient to God. These people think that because they're in church, that's enough. Newsflash, it's not. They profess a faith they do not truly believe. They say they follow a God who will punish his enemies, yet they do not live as God's friends and reject God. What do you think will happen to these people, friends? These people still exist in the church today. Not much has changed. We see people come through the church who profess to know the word. They say that they've been called by God to help build the Lord's church, to fight for the unity and purity and peace of the church, but instead they've abandoned the church or have caused division and slandered the Lord in the process. Listen to Proverbs 18.30. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. Disgrace. May we not be wicked, nor contempt against our holy God by dishonoring him, dishonoring his word, his mandate, and hurting his people and their mission. So what do we do now, Rev? What do we do, Rudy, with this information? We're not not national Israel. We don't work in a vineyard. Or do we? Yes, we do, friends. And one day we'll stand before God and be asked, what did we do with Jesus? And what should our response be to this? How are we to respond to a God, the one that made everything and called it good? But we know that sin entered through the disobedience in the garden. But Christ, having compassion still, entered the very world he created. He lived the perfect life we never could and died a death that was meant for us, that if we believe, we'd be saved from him and to him and to be a part of his family. Some of you guys saw my, my, my blue Dodgers hat yesterday, right? There's a scripture on the back that says Romans 5.8. It says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to realize, like, one day, like, I, you know, I think I need Jesus today while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were spitting in his face, Christ died. I've got a challenge for you all, for us all this morning. Anybody up for a good godly challenge? Anybody got a good competitive spirit? Praise God. Here we go. It's really hard, okay? Use your privilege wisely. Use your God-given privilege wisely. It's coming in three parts. First, Remember what God saved you from and what God saved you to. Fam, God did not save you for Netflix and chill. That's not what we got saved for. We can't just sit back and eat popcorn watching as the world falls apart with folks walking a straight path to hell. We're to raise our hands and say, coach, put me in. I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. I don't want to sit in the sidelines anymore. God has given you a privilege. In him, his grace, his compassion, his mercy has been granted to us when we've placed our faith in him. That is a reality. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So fam, even the faith that we have is a gift from God. We've done nothing to be saved. We've worked not for it at all. Our good and great God has given it to us all. He's given it all to us. Remember that with great responsibility comes what? Great accountability. Don't let it get to your head. I can get a really fat head to match my body sometimes. Don't get a fat head, right? Don't ever forget where you come from. Don't ever forget what God saved you from and what God saved you to. It's for something, and we need to stay busy for him for his people, for his church, and to carry out his mission. We've got a vineyard entrusted to us too. What are we doing with it? The second challenge. Remember that God has entrusted his vineyard to us now. The Lord Jesus told these Jewish leaders that the kingdom of God will be taken away from them and given to a people producing its fruit. Here's another smart guy that I like to quote. John Chrysostom, an early church father. He said, although the Jews had received so much care from God, they were now found to be worse than harlots and publicans. We've got a responsibility to serve our king. But not just that, we've got the immense privilege of serving him. It's a privilege to be used by him to serve the king of kings and to labor in his vineyard as he uses us to draw in his elect. Amen? Amen. But remember... I'm going to say it again. With great responsibility comes great accountability. Remember that we will be held accountable. Is it cool to enjoy such privileges from God, yet remain idle in his affairs? That's the third point. We will be held accountable. Think of the things that God saved you from that had you on a direct highway to hell. He saved us from from violence, from pride, from drugs, from lust, from anger, gossip, alcohol, never forget what God stepped in to save you from because we have been saved. That means that God will hold us accountable. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that I'm saying we have to work to get to God. God's already done the work. We don't work to get saved. We don't stay busy to get saved. We do it because we have been saved. And there should be no other response than to give our triune God our absolute best because he is worthy of nothing less. Amen? Amen. But be assured, brother and sister, that when you fail, because you will, and we repent, he is just and he will forgive us. As my brother Reverend Nicholas said yesterday, come home. Come home. I want to summarize today's entire parable using Psalm 212 that reads the following. Kiss the son. "'Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. "'For His wrath is quickly kindled. "'Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. "'Kiss the Son, Christ our Lord, "'that He might not be angry at us for neglecting Him, "'for not loving Him, for not obeying Him. "'How dare us say that we are followers of Jesus, "'yet not do what He's asked us to do, "'which is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. So, brother and sister, what are you doing to make disciples? Jesus said, go. So we can't be standing still. We need to get up and go. We need to be involved in making disciples. We need to be involved in teaching folks to observe all that God has commanded us to. Amen, Spanish River? I bless you for doing the great work of sending out love to so many churches. Talking to brothers yesterday from Central Africa, from Southern Africa, from Canada, uh, from Brazil, to see the amazing work that God is doing because you guys have choose to help so many go out and make disciples. Let's let today's message be a reality check for us. If you've been chilling, stop. If you've not been doing what God has called us to today, get busy. Because he deserves our absolute best. Psalm 212 ends saying, blessed are all who take refuge in him. May we be those that are blessed. Amen? Amen. God the Father, the owner of the vineyard, finally sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said, but we know they didn't. Today's biggest question is this. What will you do with the son? Will you respect him? Or will you treat him like the wicked servants? Let's pray. Triune God, we, we thank you for the son. We bless you for his saving work upon the cross. May we kiss the son. May we take refuge in him and be blessed in him. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you for the great privilege which you have bestowed upon us to be called your very own. Give us the unction, give us us the the perseverance to continue to go when we feel like throwing in the towel. And remind us of what you saved us from and saved us to. May we respond with obedience because we know that you prefer our obedience over sacrifice. We pray this all in God's name and all of God's people with one extremely loud voice said, "Amen." Amen.